Well, good morning, church. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning. It is really good to be here. And Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you, man. It is really good to be with you guys uh, this morning. I tell you what, uh, it has been such an odd season, which all of you guys know, but it's good to be back uh, here with you in church and uh, just getting to fellowship with the, with the body of Christ. So I just want to start off by saying thanks to, to Danny uh, for inviting me to come speak. It's a huge honor and a privilege for me and also uh, for you, Great Hills, for being a part of uh, Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. Um, uh, as the gentleman said earlier, I, I lead our students and collegiate. And uh, so we put on about 21 events throughout the state of Texas over the course of a year with about 6,000 young people in attendance. And it's pretty awesome to watch God just do a great work throughout the year. It's been a little heartbreaking this year because with camps and and all that kind of thing, we weren't able to, to do that. But thanks for giving. It really does uh, make a difference. And especially just uh, for me and my family, I have my, my family with me today. Uh, looks like um, uh, uh, Olivia and William, he may have needed a diaper change because they have hooked him uh, <laughs> for right now. Uh, but we're from Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, me and Olivia have been married for about uh, two and a half years. We're coming up on three here in September. And we have a little son named William who is gonna be five months old here in just a couple of days. And so, yeah, we're, we're super fresh to married life, super fresh to kids. You probably know what that's like. Every day is a new day. In fact, I tell people when they ask about what it's like having a kid, I say, it's like, it's like celebrating two holidays in the same day. In the morning, it's Christmas. Because you go to the crib, he's excited, you're excited, he's content, he's happy. But then when you get to like 8 p.m. at night, it's like Halloween. And everything just gets really scary and even the other night, he's gotten, he's actually gotten pretty good about sleeping. He sleeps like on average, like 10 hours a night, which is pretty incredible. We may stop here. But the other night, he just wouldn't go to bed till like midnight. And so it was like every 30 minutes, you're like, oh my Lord, is this ever going to end? But I guess it's just part of parenthood. So anyways, we're having a good time. Um, you know, before I was in, involved in, in formal ministry, when I was 20 years old, uh, me and my, my family, we opened up a restaurant. And at the age of 20, my parents financially backed me. Doesn't sound like a wise move on their part. It actually ended up working out okay. But I did that for about seven years. And uh, it really molded and shaped me. I really feel like into the man today. There was just a lot of things I had to learn about becoming a man and becoming an adult. But one of those things was in 2010. I'd been in the business for about three years. And then there was this moment where basically God what he did is he grabbed me by the shirt collar and shook me and he just said, you're mine. And that was when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. And that was a big life altering, life trajectory changing moment uh, for me. I thought I would be in the restaurant business forever. God had different plans, but I came at that moment, I came to a crossroad. And that crossroad was this, <clears throat> is that I had this community of people that I hung out with ever since I was even in elementary school uh, that I just kind of ran with. And, and they didn't exactly, I, I love them to death, I still love them, but we didn't exactly as a community of people uh, do things that were God honoring. And so here I was with my new faith, faced with do I continue to walk with this community, doing the things that this community does, or do I choose the path of being loyal to truth and walking as God is asking me and calling me to walk. And as a young person, that's a very difficult decision. I even had my nephew over the house the other day who's gonna be a senior in high school. 
And he's the, at the very same place as he said, hey, I, I realize that I, I may need to, I'm at a crossroad and I may need to step away from this community. And it's bringing a lot of anxiety for him. It's really hard of being loyal to people or loyal to truth. And, and the truth is, is you've probably experienced that in your lifetime. Or you've probably hit a crossroads where maybe you'd, you had to figure out, Am I, I've got this group around me, it may be family, it may be work, it may be church group, it may be uh, anything like that, but you've gotten to a place you're like, the group is going this way, or these are the things that they're promoting, but I don't know if I necessarily stand for that. And your hit of this crossroads is, do I choose just going with the flow of these people or this community, or do I choose truth? We live in a society today, and I think this is especially a pressure situation for young people. We have a society today that's demanding, where do you stand? Demanding people to ask that question. Where do you stand? And I think we, as the body of Christ, have to determine where will we stand? And the people that are asking that question aren't always the foreign people that we don't know and that we're maybe scared of, but it, sometimes it's the people right next to us. And so in today's message, what we're gonna do is we're gonna answer the question, how do we stand on truth even when people around us don't necessarily agree or even when it might cost you? In Galatians chapter two, verse 11, we find ourselves at a, at a pretty cool spot. Paul is speaking of the church of Galatia, but he's talking about uh, this, the church in Antioch. And this was a, a beautiful expression of faith of, of Christianity. But what we also find in this narrative is we find the sharpest disagreement among some of the most influential Christian figures of the day. Look at me at verse 11. It says, but when Cephas came, who is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when he came, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So the setting of this story, as I said, is the church of Antioch. It was an incredible expression of, of Christianity that you had Peter preaches at Pentecost and you see thousands of people saved. But after that, you see a massive persecution that literally spreads Christianity all over the known world. And during that spread, that church of Antioch was planted. And you had all these people from all different ethnic backgrounds that were at this church. And it was such a, a wonderful expression of faith. And here it says, Paul is, is kind of narrating the story and he says that uh, Peter had a habit of eating with Gentiles. He was regularly doing this. Now this is pretty significant for Peter because Peter is a Jewish man and Jewish men don't eat at tables with Gentiles. You just don't do it. Because for a Jewish person that there was certain restrictions on what you could eat, the Gentiles didn't necessarily have. There was a blessing over the table that was only meant for Jews and it wasn't meant for Gentiles. And so Peter eating at this table is what he's signaling is that me and these Gentiles, we are all under the blessing of God because the meal was an extremely important aspect of the Jewish culture. Because again, as I said, the, the people at the table, 
they received God's blessing, but it was also this idea of acceptance and community. So when Peter is sitting down with the Gentiles, eating at a table, what Peter is doing through his behavior as he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying the gospel is for all people. People that look, don't look like me, don't act like me, they are in the family of God and they are accepted before God. So in this scene, it's a wonderful picture. But what we also see in this scene is you see this cultural pressure that begins to walk in the room. It says that James and some people from the circumcision party come walking in. And what happens is you see that Peter and you see that Barnabas and you see some of the Jews begin to walk away. Now, Christianity is this umbrella term. And underneath Christianity, you have these different expressions of Christianity. You have Gentile Christianity, which is a person who is... Um, a person who does not have a Jewish background. So when they come into their Christian faith, they're not bringing in Jewish law. They're not bringing in Jewish customs. They're not bringing in a Jewish heritage or history or anything like that. And then you have Jewish Christianity. And Jewish Christianity is, is someone who is bringing in all that heritage and all that history and everything from their Jewish faith of Judaism. And they're bringing that into their Christianity. And then the sub group of that is the circumcision party. If you haven't been in church a while, if you've never read the Bible, that probably sounds really weird. In fact, it is, um, but they are what they sound like. Because these were, I would, I would, I would describe that the circumcision party are like the, the ultra, ultra right wingers of Jewish Christianity. They are the fundamentalists of type. But what they would say is, hey, Gentile, Yes, you can have faith in Christ, but if you're a male, then you need to be circumcised. Or they would say, hey, you need, to, you need to abstain from certain foods or you need to keep these certain laws. So yes, it was Jesus, but it was also other things with it as well. And probably the most simple way to put it is they were a Jew first and a Christian second. So here we have Peter dining with Gentiles, all these different ethnic groups, and they're all enjoying this meal under the blessing of God as the family of God. And then this group of people walks in the room and all of a sudden this elicits some emotions within some of the leaders. It says here that for he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men of James. However, when they came, he withdrew, separated himself because he feared those of the circumcision party. Now, here's the kind of weird thing, and it's what I wrestled with as I looked at this text, is you have Peter, who is the right-hand man to Jesus. He is like the apostle of apostles. Like, he is a man with authority. He's a man with influence. He's a man with power. Yet, even when this group of really, it's just a group, it's, it's not even, there's no really names given other than James, the apostle, but he, he, fear begins to well up in him. And I began to ask the question, why is he fearing so much? If this Peter is such a, an influencer, he's such a powerful, authoritative religious figure, why is he scared of this group? And the only thing I can think of is maybe it's perceived judgment. Uh, maybe if, if Peter is eating with Gentiles, circumcision party sees it, maybe that he loses influence, maybe he loses financial gain. Maybe I don't, I don't, we don't really know. The text doesn't tell us. But what we see is that when they come in, fear is, is coming up in Peter and the rest of Peter 
and the Jews got up from this table. Well, luckily, we have the Apostle Paul there. Uh, If you're familiar with the Enneagram, Apostle Paul was probably an eight. He's a challenger. He's a bear, not afraid of conflict. He goes in the room and he begins to call out this hypocrisy. Look what he says in verse 13. It says, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel... So as Paul is looking and he sees Peter, he sees Barnabas, he sees these Jews beginning to, uh, to, to space themselves out from the Gentiles, Paul looks at that and he says, this is hypocritical. I mean, it wasn't just Peter, but it's Barnabas. Barnabas was a, a major influential figure in the church as well. And you see that it's not just one, but this is domino effect of all of these Jews beginning to separate themselves from a Gentile audience. And Paul looks at that and he says, that is hypocritical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you're deviating from the truth. You're removing yourself from it. And what was happening is that what Peter and Barnabas and the Jews were doing is they were choosing loyalty to a people and not to the truth. So in this scene, it's such a beautiful picture to start off with. Peter has a habit of eating with Gentiles. It is this public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you see this powerful group comes walking in and all of a sudden the temperature in the room changes and people begin to back away from the table. And the way that the wording is, is like they were slowly backing away from the table. And thank the Lord, we have Paul that comes in and he says, what you are doing is not in line with the gospel. You are choosing loyalty to a people and not to the truth. So what Paul does in verses 15 through 21 is he begins to share with us what actually puts us at the table. Why was Peter at this table even to begin with? And what actually keeps Peter and what keeps you and me at this table? And here's what he says. In verse 15, it says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we Jews know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. So that Uh, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul says that the matter of sitting at the table is not just about hanging out with a group. It's not about a cool table and a not cool table, but it's about this, this term of justification. Paul says, hey, we're Jews. We're not Gentile sinners, but even we know this, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but they're actually justified by their faith in Christ. Some of you guys have been church enough. You know the term justified. It means righteous. It means accepted. So he's saying that people are not accepted based on works of the law, not based on did you eat this or did you not eat that? Did you keep this or did you not keep that? Or did you do this or did you not do that? Paul says that that doesn't work in Christianity. He says, what justifies people is their faith in Jesus. That that we have a holy God and we are sinful people and we are separated from him, but we have a savior, Jesus, who has come to this earth, who has taken the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven by God and be justified by God. And so now our justification on earth is not according to what the person says next to us, but is according to what God says about us. It is God alone that justifies us and not anybody else. And so as he's talking to Peter 
And these guys is what they were signaling to the Gentiles is they were backing away from this table and they were saying with their behavior, there is more you need. There's more you need. That you don't have it all together. There's more you need to be loved and accepted by God. You say, Mitch, they didn't say that. They didn't say it with their lips, but they said it with their legs. And they walked away. Paul says the argument in the argument here that faith is the only qualifier for table fellowship. He goes on in verse 17, he says, but if we ourselves are found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker for through the law, I died a law so that I might live to God. Just in summary here, what he's saying is like, guys, quit. When you back away from that table, you're signaling to the Gentile believers, there's more you need to be loved and accepted by God and by his community. And what you're doing is you're rebuilding a law that Jesus completely tore down and fulfilled. And so what you're doing is you're building something else and you're claiming yourself and everybody else to be sinners again. That makes no sense. You're being a hypocrite of the faith. So now, verses 20 through 21, what Paul begins to do is he begins to show us what keeps us at the table, what keeps us at the table. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I mean, you think about Paul and his whole story, the narrative of his life, man, he was as strict of a Jew as it got. I mean, he was a Jew of Jews that he even persecuted Christians because of their belief, because they believed in justification by faith in Christ and not works the law, perhaps even a murderer. He was a Jew of Jew. But what he says here in this moment is I have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion is this form of death. What he's saying is when Christ died, when he was crucified and when he died, I died as well, which meant I died to those old ways. I died of that old way of thinking. I died of that old way of persecution. I died of that old way of thinking about tribalism as this, my tribe is right, everybody else's tribe is wrong, and all those kind of things. I died of all that, I've been crucified and it's gone. Well, who's living? I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. So it's no longer this law that has dominion over my soul or over my mind. It's no longer keeping all these rigid rules and these, and these regulations in order to be the right kind of Jew or feel accepted before God. He says, that doesn't reign in me anymore. What reigns in me is Jesus. And that's it. It's Jesus. He's the one leading me. He is the one guiding me. You say, Mitch, that sounds really vague. What does that practically even look like? for me. And Paul gets practical for us. He said, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What keeps Paul attached to Jesus is faith. I had a mentor uh, tell me one time, he said that faith is believing what God says is true regardless of how you feel 
regardless of your circumstances or regardless of any cultural trends or, or pressures. So, you know, I imagine when Paul heard of this or P Paul was there, he probably felt some of that pressure too from this, this party that was coming in. But instead of saying, you know what, I'm gonna go with this cultural pressure and what I feel, he's saying, I'm actually gonna believe in Jesus above what I feel about whoever's in this room right now. And it's faith that he chose, that if he chose to live the way of the circumcision party, it would be like setting grace down and picking the law up. That's what he says at the end of that verse. I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's like, you know, he's like, Peter, Barnabas, Christians, think about this critically for a second. For you to begin to put all these this rigid rules upon these people that doesn't even matter is like you taking the grace of Jesus, setting it down and picking up works of the law. And you know what that means? Christ died for no reason. That doesn't make any sense. That is hypocritical to the Christian faith. And so initially what we see in this setting is we see this beautiful expression of this gospel table. And then we see this circumcision party walk in and they begin to apply pressure to the people in the room. The Peter and the Jews, they begin to fear that for them to stay at the table will somehow, some way cost them. It's gonna cost them something, we don't know what, but it feared them enough that it pulled them away from the truth to these people. And they thought that it was cost them enough that they were willing to drop gospel convictions and separate themselves. And they thought for a second, even sub subconsciously, I'm sure, that I'm willing to be loyal to the circumcision party over loyal to Jesus. They didn't say it, but by their behavior and everything they did, that's what they said. And just think about this for a second. What do you think the Gentiles were thinking during all this? How do you think they felt during all this? as they're sitting there at the table, having a good time, enjoying each other's company, then all of a sudden they look around and it's just them at the table. All they're hearing is they see the backs of Peter, Barnabas and the Jews is I don't care and you're not enough. That's what they hear. But Paul says that the antidote to staying at this table and loving brothers and sisters in Christ is he's saying we have to get it right that our justification is not before the people around us, but it is only before God. And that we will keep getting up from the table if we never solidify our justification comes before God and not anything else. Our justification is in Christ alone and that is it. That's what Jesus did, that's what the scripture teaches. And allegiance to a people over Jesus is what Paul says is it's purely hypocrisy. So here's my one point. I'm a terrible Baptist. I don't have three, I just got one. Here it is. Faithfulness to Jesus keeps you at the table. Faithfulness to Jesus keeps you at the table. You know, this really um, became super clear to me recently. This personal, I mean, this whole message is just out of my personal story. So it may not mean a hill of beans to you, but it is for me is that during COVID, when this all first started getting kicked off, we, had, uh, we were putting together weekly meetings for college leaders around the state of Texas. 
And as we were doing that, that was uh, during the, uh, the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And so during this week, uh, we have a semi-diverse group of leaders within our group. And uh, I asked uh, two of our, our, our college leaders who are men who happen to be black, and I said, hey, will you guys lead, lead the group this week? And uh, they were like, yes, we, we would love to. And uh, so they just kind of had the floor, centered their voices a lot. You know, they had the floor. And, uh, and as they began to talk about their experiences in society. And as they began to talk about their experiences being in a predominantly white conservative evangelical culture, my heart broke. I, I have two sisters who are both married to black men. My whole family looks almost completely different from me. And there was still some blinders that I had on my eyes. And what that meeting did is it just washed the scale off my eyes as I saw my brothers and I saw their pain for the very first time. And as I said and listened to them, what I realized is that I love sitting at the table of diversity unless it's gonna cost me. That I love sitting at the table unless it's gonna be uncomfortable. And what I realized time and time again as I said at that table, is when racial tension would rise in our nation, that was my time to back away. And I did that over and over and over again. And it hit me for the very first time that every time I did that, what I was telling them is, I don't care, you're not enough. I don't care, you're not enough. And I don't even care to stand with you when you're hurting. I'm just gonna get up because this is uncomfortable to me. And as I, as I sat there and I was just being, just Holy Spirit, just pounding my head and heart with this, I started asking the question, why? Why do I do that? Why, why, do, I, why, why do I stick my head in the sand? Why do I try to ignore all this? Why do I, I try to just put up defenses instantly? Why do I do that? You know, like, let me get under the surface of this. And as I, as I got down to it, what I realized is because I thought it would cost me that it elicited fear in me of what it might cost me. Would it cost me reputation? Would it cost me influence? Would it cost me leadership? I was afraid of being labeled a liberal or a social justice warrior, heaven forbid, a Marxist or a socialist. I have a position of leadership. I don't wanna ruin that. And I was just stuck in fear. And what happened is I was becoming to a people or a voice and not to the truth of the gospel. Here's what I was forgetting. Jesus is faithful to me. Jesus lived and died on my behalf and bought my justification. So I don't need to be justified by any person or voice, but I am justified before Jesus and him alone. Therefore, I don't have to walk this life in fear of what people may think, but I can stand and be loyal to truth regardless to what anybody says. And I'm not talking about the boogeyman out there. I'm not talking about some foreign people that are pressuring. I'm talking about people that are closest to me. That's when that gets real. It's easy for us to stand for truth for people that we don't know. But what about if it's the people that are closest to us? What if it's the people in our Sunday school class? What if it's the people that, that are in our house? What if it's the people we go to church? What if it's those people? That's where it's the hardest to choose loyalty to truth over, over a people. But I had to remind myself 
that because Jesus is faithful to me, that I am justified in Christ and not before man. Therefore, I can walk without fear. Why? Because Jesus has granted me that. Therefore, as I sit at this crossroads, determining if I will be loyal to truth or people, I can stand on truth every single time. And how do I do that? Paul says it's by faith. Believing by faith that I'm doing what God wants me to do. So let me ask you this. Is what crossroad are you at? What crossroad are you at? Where are you left trying to figure out if you'll be loyal to truth or loyal to people? It's easy to go with the flow. Nobody wants to be that person that puts a cog in the middle of the river. Nobody wants to be that person. But what if God is asking you to be that person? To bring about peacemaking, to bring about a reconciliation in whatever it is. I'm not just talking about racial issues, anything. What are times in your life where you wanted to say or stand on truth, but you didn't because you felt fearful of people's opinions and how that might affect your life? Brother and sister, I want you to know that Jesus' faithfulness will keep you at that table. So whether you're navigating family, friends, coworkers, church members, politics, here are a few things that you can do to remind yourself of Jesus' faithfulness. The first thing is this, is to, to pause and pray. If you're like me, what I tend to do is I'll just go with the flow of a group wherever they're going. And I have to stop and critically think of, is this really what I stand for? Is this really what I believe? Pause and pray, ask God for wisdom. Second thing is this, is apply the truth. Is where does God speak into this situation? And remind yourself is even if this puts you at a disagreement with somebody, that your justification doesn't come from them, but it actually comes from God and what Jesus has accomplished for you. And the third thing is this, walk boldly. Man, respond in faith. Like I said, what faith says is what God says is true, regardless of the feelings, regardless of the fear, regardless of the anxiety, regardless of the circumstance and regardless of what kind of cultural pressure puts on you. All boldly. So last thing, what would it look like if, if all of us begin to live in light of this? If, if when we got to the crossroad, we decided to choose truth over just blindly following people sometimes. I wanna, I wanna share with you this scripture. It's Hebrews 13, verse 12 through 14, and it says this. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek one, the one that is to come. The Jesus went outside the gate. You know what's in the gate? Everybody else. But what Jesus did is he went outside the gate and he suffered so that he could make you and I justified before God. So you know what that releases us to do? That releases us to come outside the camp, to stand with Jesus under the justification that he has provided for us. And guess what you'll find? You may say, you know what? This community, I don't necessarily agree with or I don't know. And, and you're, you're kind of wrestling back and forth. And when you go outside that community, stand on truth, you know what you're gonna find is another community that's standing on truth. 
Where will you be? What lie are you believing? Where do you need to stand for truth? Believe it. Believe it. Maybe God would bring some peacemaking. Maybe he'd bring some reconciliation. We never know. I don't have it figured out. But I do know. You know, even Danny said, man, in that video, he said, man, man, for a parent to walk in integrity, that's the biggest blessing they could give their child. That's huge to me right now. Because as I look at William, the one thing that I can give him that will bless him for the rest of his days is my integrity. And I hope that he watches his dad stand on truth every stinking time. I'm gonna mess up, it's gonna happen. But would we be a people of integrity that will choose truth every stinking time? What's your decision today? What crossroads are you at? If you're here today, you've never trusted in Christ, and Christ is inviting you to have a relationship with him that God is holy and we are not, and we make bad decisions all the time and we need to be reconciled. We need to be back in relationship with him. And that's what Jesus provided, that he is God in flesh, that has died for you, that is paid for the penalty of your sins so that you can have a relationship with him and it takes faith. God, I'm yours now. That's a decision you need to make. We're gonna have an invitation. You can stay in your seats and we'll worship, Um, but there'll be some means to connect here in just a minute. Let me pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we thank you. God, that you, uh, that you stand with us. We thank you for just the Lord that when we were lost and we were wavered, that you just came and got us. And Lord, that you're calling us now to live by faith on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were calling us to live in the justification that you have provided us. And so, Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would stand on truth, no matter the cost, and it will cost us. Heavenly Father, today, if there's someone in here that's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, Father, I pray that they would, would do that today. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.